This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, this is Positive Parenting, and I'm Armin Brott. Between feeding infants, sending kids off to school, helping with homework, getting little ones ready for bed, and countless other activities, it may seem pretty much impossible to find a few moments to restore your ever-subsiding sanity. Moms can feel as if they're sprinting through life, crashing into the pillow at the end of the day, only to start again the next morning without savoring any of the moments in between. Well, Shonda Morales has been there, and Shonda is going to be our guest for this part of the show. She's a psychotherapist, and she once devoted half an hour a day to meditation each and every day. Then she became a busy mama who needed the benefits of her mindfulness practice more than ever. She needed perspective, calm, and the ability to be present for her family. None of those are particularly easy. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Shonda about breathing, about meditation, about mindfulness, and also about what she calls mindful breaks, which are short, quick, daily opportunities to reset and refocus your life with mindfulness. The goal, of course, is to help you achieve peace and calm and to help you tune into your own well-being. And with Shonda Morales to guide you, well, you're going to be able to do that in mere minutes. I'm Armin Braun. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Excuse me, do you know how to get to Maine and Maple? Do you have these in a seven and a half? How's that cooked? Can I get that shipped overnight? Is there a direct flight? How long does the warranty last? What's your soup of the day? How do you change the ringtone? Does it come in blue? Does this bus stop at Elm Street? We ask questions everywhere in life. Is it raining out? Uh, what time's the meeting? How much does this cost? Does it have four-wheel drive? Have we met before? What's my account balance? Yet somehow, when we get to the doctor's office... Any questions? Um, no. We clam up. Ask questions. What is this test for? Are there any side effects? When do I get my results? Questions lead to better health care. Go to AHRQ.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe Mama Breathe, Five-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. Shonda, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about how mindfulness might be different for moms than for anybody else, or is it, do you think? I do, and, and I get this question a lot. Why did I write the book for busy moms? Why not busy dads or busy parents? Um, so a couple of reasons, and I think that uh, moms tend to have a little bit of extra societal pressure put upon us. So uh, not only do we have to juggle all these roles that dads do as well, but what I see is that moms really do a lot of comparing and put a lot of pressure on themselves to look good, to bring the, the best, best decorated cupcakes to the birthday party in school, and so forth. So, so there's this extra pressure to do it really well, almost um, sometimes with perfectionism. 
that uh, society tends to place on moms. Um, and I also see that as much as dads have picked up a lot of the co-parenting and the household roles, um, share in a lot of that, that I still see moms as managers of the household oftentimes. So just the, the minute details of the dentist appointments and who is getting this birthday gift and how is the carpool running this week, that the moms tend to manage those tiny details. And so for all those reasons, uh, I focused on busy moms. Okay. No, it sounds perfectly reasonable. So <laughs> I guess then, then we need to do another little bit of, of uh, definition setting, I guess. What do you mean by mindfulness? I think we, we've talked about it a number of times on the show. We've had mindfulness for kids and mindfulness and for, for eating and different kinds of things. But refresh our, our minds here a little bit about what mindfulness is and why it's important. Right. So very simply, mindfulness is bringing our full attention to the present moment with a sense of uh, kindness and compassion and curiosity. So as best we can, not judging ourselves toward, but just being aware of what's happening right now. So instead of worrying about the future or what ifing or running through our to-do list or rehashing the past, we're right here, right now. Okay. And not allowing yourself to get too distracted by it, though, at the same time, right? Distracted by? Whatever it is that you're thinking about that is is taking you in different directions because that's, that's the hardest part of... of pretty much anything is you're just going to be you're kind of side swiped by all sorts of thoughts and ideas and things that get in the way of whatever you're doing to wherever you should be doing in the present moment or could be doing right so so a common misconception about mindfulness is that it's clearing our mind of thoughts but that's just not possible <laughs> that's really not the goal at all so it's more about acquainting ourselves with our minds and what the thoughts are and where our thoughts take us because the more awareness we have the more choice we have in each moment of how we respond to situations. So rather than just reacting out of habit or on automatic pilot, we can pause and choose because we're more aware. Okay. All right. So there's there's three terms. I mean, there's a whole bunch of terms here, but there's three that I, I want to make sure that we're all really clear on the difference between them because mm -hmm. they all sound like they, they could be kind of close together. So we've got mindfulness we've talked about, meditation, and then mindful breaks. Right. So meditation is a time when you carve out uh, a space of time in your day to practice that mindfulness muscle. You sort of build that mindfulness muscle. So for example, we might pay attention and meditate on the breath just because it's always with us. So we notice the inhale, we notice the exhale, our mind wanders, we bring it back to the breath. So it's repeatedly uh, gently bringing our attention back over and over again to a point of focus and that is meditation so um, yoga is actually a form of moving meditation and we can do seated meditation walking meditation um, so that's where it's different from mindfulness mindfulness is this awareness um, it's a way of being and meditation is the practice so it's the foundation that we we lay down okay is can you have one without the other Sure, sure, um, because you can sit down and meditate uh, for, let's say, 30 minutes and really be aware of what's happening, and you can hop up and move through your day without awareness the rest of the day. I mean, that can happen, um, So, and vice versa. We can be 
more mindful throughout our days without meditating, but they really do support each other, um, and they really uh, work well together. Okay, and then you've got the mindful breaks, which are also, we're going to talk about how this is all going to go together, but just want to make sure we're all on the same page as far as what we're talking about. So mindful breaks being what? So they are reminders and uh, pauses throughout the day. So so after we've gotten up and meditated and now it's time to go through our day as, as normal, we can pause for just a few seconds or while we're doing tasks, everyday tasks, throughout the day and take a mindful break. So, for example, um, we can have a mindful tea break or a mindful cup of coffee. Rather than swigging back our cup of tea or coffee, we can bring our full attention to it and be aware. We're already doing it, but we can have a different relationship to how that's happening and um, so throughout the day, many, many ways to take mindful breaks. And do you suggest that you take a lot of them, or I mean, is there a particular number that's good for some people to start with or the ideal target? Right. So, so um, I think it's helpful to start with just one or two. We don't want to overwhelm ourselves. But if you uh, make an intention to pick one or two to start out each day, and then build upon that. So, um, and, and in my book, Breathe Mama Breathe, there are over 60 to choose from. So um, you can vary that day to day, or sometimes people like to try the same one for a week and kind of integrate that into their day and then add another one. But um, I mean, anytime, anytime throughout the day is an invitation to drop in and be aware of what's happening. But we don't want to overwhelm ourselves either <laughs> as we're learning. Okay. And you talked about meditating for five minutes. <clears throat> I think that seems like not a very long period of time. Do you suggest starting with that and increasing it, or is that a good enough time to get the kinds of results that you're looking for? Right. Great question. And so wh- what I've come to with teaching meditation about 10 years now or a little bit longer is that uh, people have great intentions of starting and meditating 20 or 30 minutes a day. And what I found was People would come into my office and say, yeah, I didn't do it, or I only did it once this week. Um, so five minutes a day is a great starting point because you want to establish this daily habit. That's the most important so that it's, it becomes part of your routine, and then that's wonderful to build upon it, and I would highly recommend that. But five minutes is sometimes all people are willing or able to, to do, and that has been shown through research to have benefits for sure. Really? Just five minutes? Yes, yes. Uh, do you have to do it on a regular basis or just, I'm, you know, I'm sure that it, you could do a five minutes and that'll help you feel better in the moment, but to have some sort of long-term effects. Right. So absolutely. This daily habit is key um, because it's that reminder every day. It's practice. It's like building uh, a muscle in our body, but you're really building your mindfulness muscle in your brain. And what research has shown is that meditation can actually change the function and uh, shape of our brains over time. So it really is like exercise for our brain. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. And, and what does it do, though? How, how does that actually play out? Well, there are a number of things. So the, um, the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is in charge of attention and sort of organization and planning and seeing the bigger picture, that actually the gray matter in the brain has been shown to increase in long-term meditators and the amygdala which is kind of our emotional part of our brain 
uh, that reacts and just kind of um, we sort of are emotionally hijacked, we like to say, um, that gets smaller in long-term meditators. So there's not this automatic reaction. There's more calm, a more even state uh, over, over long-term meditation. Talking with Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, Five-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms, and the, another part of the subtitle is Make Everyday Moments a Chance to Find Calm and Feel More Connected. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the mindful breaks we can be taking, how to do that and what to do, and how to incorporate them into your lives. Also want to talk about some things that you wouldn't expect would go along with, with meditation or mindful breaks, and that is dealing with some of the unpleasant aspects of day-to-day life. I'm Armin Brunt, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Hi, it's Practical Polly's radio show. If you're just figuring out that healthier cooking oils are better than solid fats, you may be asking, now what am I going to do with all these tubs of lard? Ever had one of those moments when your favorite skinny jeans feel too tightly tailored? (laughs) Generously apply lard to your hips and thighs, and those fancy pants will slide on like a dream. Or here's a family-friendly idea. How about making your yard into a lard fun park? Frost your driveway with a nice thick coating and give those kiddos a downhill thrill no matter what time of year. Having a bad hair day? Yep. A little lump of lard can tame your flyaways in a jiffy. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste or to your waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils, like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Now that's a tip worth keeping for life. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ, good luck. Here we go. (laughs) The champ's not wasting any time. (laughs) Oh! It's over! This fight is over! Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, Five-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. So let's talk about some of these. You mentioned that there are about 60 of the mindful breaks. And you've got to go back a little bit because I'm, I'm still not 100% sure that I grasp the difference between a mindful break and mindful or, or and, and meditation. I mean, I understand that you're not just sitting and thinking uh, with, with the mindful break. But how are those non-meditative breaks mindful? Okay, so uh, for example, if we're, we use a, the waiting mindful break. So a mindful break is something we use any time throughout the day, <clears throat> excuse me, that we can just pause and notice what's happening. So we don't need to go off and be quiet and have a, a space where nobody will uh, interrupt us to meditate. We're in the middle of our day, in the middle of our busy lives, 
we can pause and bring full attention to that moment. So waiting in line at the grocery store or waiting at a doctor's office for an appointment, instead of pulling our phone out and scrolling through social media like we might do, uh, what would happen if we pause, take a few deep breaths, uh, maybe notice what's happening in our body. We drop our shoulders, we uh, unfurl our brow maybe, and, and look up and just see what's right in front of us. So we're there for that moment rather than in some um, what some people call a virtual reality of awareness in our phones. There for that moment. Right. Okay. So are there particular ones that you can do with your kids I mean, as a, as a busy mom, you may not be able to, to get that time away from your kids. And how, if you are able to do it with them or if you have to do it with them, how can you make that relaxing enough? Right. So, so uh, one great mindful break I love is a three-breath hug, which is deliberately connecting with our kids or our spouse. And that is to, to engage in a big bear hug, <laughs> and you teach this to your kids. And you take three slow, deliberate uh, breaths together, in and out. And it's really sweet and calming. And even teenagers, if they're going to act like they don't like it, tend to like it too. So, um, so I love that one. Um, but we can, we can take a mindful break when we are with others, and we can let them know what we're doing or not. So we can let our kids in on some of this too. You can take a mindful break while you're eating a meal. You might just pause and... Um, before you start, say, let's, let's notice what the food looks like, what it smells like. We use our senses. Maybe we think about how it made its way to our plate. Um, and what if we taste that first bite of food together and notice the flavors? And so it's, it's everyday activities that we can just bring more awareness to. So oftentimes we can savor them more. You, know, you talk about breathing and smelling and being aware of things, and, and you just said to enjoy them more. But you talk in the book about the opposite of that in a way, dealing with unpleasant moments, things that are not so enjoyable, and using these mindful breaks to help you cope with those things. So talk about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all need that with parenting, right? So those moments where you know your toddler's having a meltdown or your teenager is rolling their eyes and, and doing this oppositional thing that, that happens. Um, so mindfulness can be this brief pause where we can uh, um, calm ourselves enough. So in just those few seconds, we might recognize, oh, I'm feeling some tension here. I'm ready to go. And we have that split second where we can take a few breaths and calm our body down enough that we can choose how we respond in those situations because otherwise we're just going to react out of habit or out of anger or frustration. Um, and this way we have a choice more often. Hmm. Are there things that you can do as, as a group, do you think? I mean, you mentioned something you could do with your child and, the, and, and with other people to enjoy senses and things like that, but is this like two people or is, is three a crowd? <laughs> oh, no, no, absolutely. And I've taught uh, mindfulness for kids classes. So a lot of this can be done um, in groups. Um, so and, and with kids, especially no, noticing senses, noticing their bodies, because they're, they're very much in their bodies and um, teaching kids, especially to be aware of what's 
to be able to name body sensations and have more awareness is huge. Uh, I like to use the example of that gut instinct. People talk about, you know, trust your gut. And a lot, uh, often people will say, I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know. But when we really pause and pay attention and get more familiar with body sensations, they can really clue us in uh, to a lot. So um, think about if we, if we are unsure about something, we find ourselves in a sticky situation and we ha- get that little bit of a butterfly in our stomach or a little bit of uncomfortable feeling then we can teach our kids that is a signal that you need to stop and really step back and assess the situation. That's a clue for you. Something's going on um, and that kind of thing. So, so um, stepping outside and, and nature as well, using our senses, anything like that with groups. Okay. And aside from the, the three-breath break, which sounds like a terrific idea for, for kids of all, of all types, it seems like an important part of this maybe it's just it's the overlap between motherhood and or fatherhood for that matter and parenting is to to help other people benefit from this your kids in particular how do you begin to make mindfulness a family activity hmm. well i always say to start with ourselves as parents we have to put on our own oxygen mask first um, learning what mindfulness is and practicing it and kids soak that up so they they are like little sponges for our emotions and our sense of well-being and playfulness. So when we're practicing and we're more at ease, we're more fun and we're more creative, um, we're happier. And so they feel this. And there was actually uh, research done where parents meditated for a year. They were taught mindfulness meditation. And their kids were actually shown to be more social and less aggressive simply from their parents practicing mindfulness. Wait, and the, the kids didn't do it at all? The parents did? That's right, right. So there's a clear trickle-down effect that, um, it's, so whether it's modeling or whether they, they are experiencing a family life that is more calm and more connected, there's that benefit without the kids practicing it all on their own. So, so that's number one, is we need to learn how to do it ourselves and then invite our kids. So, you know, they're curious, especially the younger kids, to know what we're doing, and we can just name it, and they and we can say, I'm feeling like I am a little bit frustrated right now or I might lose it, so I'm going to step away. I'm going to take a few breaths. We can model that for them um, so that they can learn that it's okay to do that and how to do that. And also, when we do lose it, <laughs> lose our temper, and act in a way we, we aren't proud of, it's mindfulness helps us to forgive ourselves, uh, offer ourselves a little compassion, we can come back and make that repair with our child and say, I didn't handle that very well. I didn't use my breath. I didn't, I didn't call myself enough. And I'm sorry, and I'm going to try better next time. And so, you know, those are all lessons that they can be learning, too. I'm really curious about how these things actually play out physiologically. It just seems, you know, you're saying that, that mindfulness helps you to be more compassionate. How does that work? Hmm. I'm not sure about the specifics of compassion in, in the mind and the brain, um, but I do know that fight or flight is something we've probably heard, people have heard of. Um, when we're stressed out or when we're, when we're perceiving danger, our body goes into fight or flight. So if there's a real danger that we're facing, then that's helpful because we're ready to fight or ready to run away. But in our busy lives, we perceive so much as danger or threats. And we're in fight or flight so much of the time that we don't even 
know we're there. It's a sort of chronic level of uh, low-level stress or overwhelm. So um, that is adrenaline and cortisol, and that can make us tired and more sick and and um, a lot of chronic illnesses. So when we are feeling, when we are practicing mindfulness more, we're we're not experiencing as much fight or flight. Our body's naturally calmer, and um, when we're able to be more calm, we're able to look outside of ourselves. When we're stressed, we're very self-focused. Um, so being able to be more at ease and calm automatically makes us more hmm. compassionate looking outward. Um, but there is research as well that uh, that compassion does increase with mindfulness meditation as well. Shonda Morales is the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, 5-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. Make everyday moments a chance to find calm and feel more connected. Shonda, thanks for joining us. It was very nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Armin. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me, and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Bront. Let's just jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad column. Dear Mr. Dad, my kids are ages 9 and 11, and they're fortunate enough to be good at almost everything they do. But if something comes up that they don't pick up immediately, whether it's a sport, a board game, or an art project, or something else, they tend to get frustrated and quit. How can I get them to understand that losing, or at least not being perfect at everything, is just part of life? You have just put your finger on one of the biggest challenges facing parents today, how to teach our children not only to accept failure, but to actually embrace it. Unfortunately, too many children and young adults have spent most of their life in a world where they're told every day that they're amazing and fantastic and where they get trophies and awards for just showing up. The message is clear. If you're going to get the same reward whether you work hard or not, why trouble yourself? At the same time, we live in a world where we're obsessed with performance, whether that's good grades or high test scores, playing on an elite sports team and leading the league in home runs or touchdowns, or landing a high-paying job. The message here is also clear. You have to be the best. If you're not, you're nothing. Or as Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers who lost Super Bowl 50, put it last year, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Together, those two messages have created a situation that your kids and millions of others are in. If they can do something extremely well right off the bat, they'll do it. If not, They'll quit in a hurry rather than risk being seen as a loser. At the same time, in order to keep being seen as winners and to keep the you're amazing comments and awards coming in, they gravitate towards activities they know they can excel at. Bottom line, they don't challenge themselves. 
They don't understand the importance of hard work, and they haven't developed the resilience they need to cope with failure. So, how can you get them to understand that losing is a part of life? Well, it's not going to be easy, but I think it can be done. The first step is to try to be less results-oriented in your own life, less focus on grades and performance, more on learning and improvement. Next, talk about hard work. But just saying that it's important isn't enough. Show your kids examples of people who have worked really, really hard to achieve success. It's easy to look at someone like Bill Gates or LeBron James and say, oh, I want to be just like that. It's a very different thing to understand how much incredibly hard work it took them to get where they are. Talk about the importance of losing, and again, do more showing than telling. Be open about your own failures and those of anyone else whose stories you know, and emphasize how the world didn't come to an end when things didn't go the way you wanted. You might also read them a few excerpts from Sam Weinman's new book, Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. It's a show that we did just a couple of weeks ago. Finally, keep encouraging your kids to try new things, especially things they won't be good at right away. Encourage them to talk with you about how it feels not to be the best and help them figure out what they learned from the experience and how they can use those lessons in other areas of their life. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. Until then, I'm Armin Brott. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.